What does it mean to be people of hope in the midst of exile? This is the question that we have been asking throughout this entire series. And it's the question we're going to ask again today as we turn to another famous story from the Old Testament uh, that comes from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet uh, to Israel in the midst of exile in Babylon. Ezekiel was there with them. And Ezekiel's prophecy uh, comes with lots of object lessons, if you were. God oftentimes asked Ezekiel to act things out. And this story is uh, more of a vision, but crazy like many of the others. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, or feel free to follow along using the Bible tab there in front of you. Ezekiel chapter 37 This is what it says. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy or preach to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, I preached as I was commanded. And as I was preaching, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone by bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy or preach to the breath Preach, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Incredible, this vision that God has given Ezekiel and uh, what it may mean for the people of Israel and what it may mean for us. A couple of things to note here. Uh, God brings Ezekiel into this valley of dry bones. There's the sense in which God carries him uh, perhaps into the midst of it and drops him into it. He's standing there uh, ankle deep in bones. This is uh, gross, it's disgusting, and more importantly in that culture, it is ritually unclean. Now, why on earth does the author uh, take uh, time to tell us that these are dry bones? He's uh, telling us that they are dead beyond dead, right? This is not a valley of corpses. The flesh and the muscles, the tendons have all gone away. It's just bones left. And even these bones have been there for a long time, dead beyond dead. They are completely dry. 
And furthermore, they're unburied. Isn't this odd? Uh, Ezekiel doesn't come to a cemetery, as it were. It's this valley of bones. And uh, it would happen somewhat often in those days that armies that were defeated, the dead would be left there, and then over time their body would be decomposed. Uh, The birds of the air would come and, and pick at the bones, and then all that would be left would be bones. You could come into valleys and, in essence, find remnants of defeated armies. Furthermore, in the Old Testament covenant, we are told that those who are cut off from God, that is, those who in their rebellion have not kept God's law, their bodies are to be tossed out and left that way. Unburied was a sense of being cut off from God, a monument to rebellion. So here we have this picture of a defeated army cut off from God. And Ezekiel is wading around ankle deep in this valley full of these bones. They're touching him all around. And God says, now preach to the bones. Can you even imagine, excuse me, what it must have been like for Ezekiel? Now listen, it has been an odd experience for me to preach in an empty room to a video camera. But I would uh, offer this. I would much rather do that than preach to a bunch of bones. This is bizarre. And yet God has asked him to do this. And before he even gets to that, God says to Ezekiel uh, a question. He says, "Uh, son of man, can these bones live? And I've got to think two things are going through Ezekiel's mind. The first is, no, no. What kind of question is this? They're dead. It's clear. This is obvious. Dead beyond dead. They can't live. And yet, God has made Ezekiel do some crazy things through his prophetic career. And so perhaps in his mind, he's also thinking, but you've brought me here for a reason, haven't you? And so he says, Sovereign Lord, only you can know. So back to Ezekiel. He's told to preach in the midst of this. And uh, as a prophet, he needs to do what God has said. So he begins to deliver a sermon to the bones. Uh, They say in homiletics class or in preaching class, you ought to have a great hook in the beginning to really grab your audience's attention. I wonder what that was for Ezekiel preaching to uh, a valley full of bones. But as he begins to preach to them, something crazy starts to happen. The bones rise up. They connect to each other. To use the the kid's song, right? The leg bone connects to the knee bone, (laughs) and so forth and so on. And then as he's preaching, the tendons and the muscles begin to, to form around the bones, connecting them to each other. And then finally, perhaps in his, in his closing to his sermon, the skin envelops these skeletons, and there standing in front of Ezekiel are a bunch of people. Can you even imagine? But even still... What we have is not living human beings. We have bones that have been assembled into skeletons that have been fit with tendons and ligaments and muscles and have been enveloped in skin. What you have now is a multitude of corpses standing in front of Ezekiel. 
And God says, you did good with the bones. Sermon number two in this revival is to be preached to these corpses. And so Ezekiel, probably thinking, what on earth? And yet seeing what had already happened to him, preaches the message God gives him to preach. A message of breath from the four winds of the earth is going to come and enliven these corpses. And as Ezekiel preaches this message, this very thing happens. Life comes back into them, a divine act of CPR. And and they come to the fullness of life. This is stunning and incredible. And then God turns to Ezekiel in verse 11 and says, Now this vision, this is what it means. Verse 11. And God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. What is the meaning of this vision? God is saying that the people of God are not finished. They feel hopeless. They feel like dry bones. In fact, they are dry bones. At this point, conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and because the empire was so vast, the people of God are spread out all over it. It's not like the Exodus story of Egypt where they're all kind of clustered in one place and together. There's a sense, a deep sense, a deep feeling that the people of God are done. They're going to simply be uh, uh, washed right into this great Babylonian Empire. Their culture is done. Their religion is done. Their national identity is over. They've been cut off because they've been rebellious to God's law. But this vision is saying that they're not finished. That there actually is hope for them. That the God of the covenant is going to keep his end of the deal even when the people couldn't. Story goes on. Verse 12, Therefore preach, prophesy, and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit, the same word for breath, Hebrew, ruach, in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, that I have done it declares the Lord. Don't you see? God is not just saying that the people of God aren't finished. He's saying that he's going to bring them back from this great exile. He's going to give them uh, their life and return them to this experience of blessing in the land that God had promised to their forefathers. This is something that only God could do because he is rich in grace and in mercy. And then he says something fascinating. And in doing this, you will come to know 
that I am God. And as I was reading that, I'm thinking, well, they already know this, right? They've lived in this covenant relationship for generation after generation, and yet there's this sense in which there is head knowledge, but not real heart knowledge. They know who God is, they know about him, but they personally haven't known him. God's saying that through this experience of exile and through his divine rescue, they are going to come to know him, that his spirit will be on them. Imagine when Ezekiel preaches to the people the vision that God has given him and what it means, the hope that must have begun to rise up in their hopeless hearts. Our God is faithful. He keeps his covenant promises. His people will not be extinguished. And he will bring them back. Well, the truth is that in uh, a couple of years, uh, a number of years after this, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians. King Cyrus uh, of the Persians allows uh, a segment of the Jewish people to go back to the land. They start rebuilding the temple. They start rebuilding the walls of the city. Uh, but most of the people never go back. And the Persians eventually are conquered by the Greeks, Alexander the Great. And at his death, his empire is divided into four different parts. Uh, the Jewish people are then still ruled by the Seleucids, the Ptolemies. Ultimately, there's a, there's a period of independence under the Maccabeans. Uh, but ultimately, income the Romans in occupying and conquering Israel. And the truth is that the people of God never had really fully experienced this return from exile that God seemed to promise in Ezekiel chapter 37. They hadn't experienced this, this life, this abundance, this rest, uh, resurrection to, to uh, covenant uh, experience of life. And so we have to begin to understand that the prophecy of Ezekiel and the vision that God gave him is actually speaking of something far greater than the Babylonian experience. That there's actually a greater and ultimate enemy in exile. And this enemy in exile is what the Bible calls sin and death. See, the Babylonians were not really the problem. They were not really the ones keeping the people of God from experiencing the life God had promised them. Well, certainly they had conquered Israel, but the issue wasn't the Babylonians. The issue was the Israelites. It was the people of God. It was their hardness of heart. It was their rebellion. See, it goes farther back than the Babylonian captivity, all the way back to the opening chapters of Scripture, to the rebellious nature of man, to an Adam and an Eve who represent humanity in choosing to try to be like God instead of worshiping 
God. And in this rebellion launches the whole reality of sin and death, the ultimate enemy and the ultimate exile. That even a conquering and a defeat of Babylon, an oppressor of Israel, and even a uh, tenuous journey back to the land couldn't deal with. It couldn't overcome the brokenness of their heart. The truth is that it's the same for us. The Apostle Paul says pretty succinctly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Not we were harmed, not we were injured, not we were afflicted, not even we were hanging on by a thread. We were dead, that is, dry bones to the ultimate enemy in exile of sin and death. So what? What can even hope to overcome that? How can God ever come through on his covenant promise? How can he see this vision that he gave to Ezekiel through to its ultimate conclusion? The answer is that he can't simply carry a prophet into the midst of a valley of dry bones. He himself came into the midst of the dry bones. And he's done it in the person and work of Jesus. We love the idyllic scene of Jesus born into a manger, but spiritually, Jesus was born into a valley of dry bones. The God of the universe set aside the comforts and the pleasures and the authority of heaven to wade around knee-deep in a valley of dry bones. But God loved you and me so much that he didn't simply wade around in it. He actually himself became dry bones. Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul in writing to the Galatians, which we just studied a few months ago, chapter 3 verse 13 says that he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That is, we were cut off because of our sin and rebellion. God has redeemed us. How has he done it? Paul says to the Galatians, by himself becoming cursed. Jesus becomes a pile of dry bones for us. Paul says it elsewhere to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 like this. He who knew no sin, that is Jesus was perfect without sin, completely uh, obedient to the way of God. He himself who knew no sin became sin so that we might have his righteousness, that we might share in his standing. Don't you see this? God is fulfilling this vision not through a human prophet, but by himself coming into this valley of bones. Himself becoming 
a pile of dry bones. Paul says to the Ephesians, after saying in chapter 2, verse 1, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, a few verses later in verse 4 of chapter 2, saying, But God, who is rich in mercy, because he loves us so much, has made us alive. And he's done it through Jesus. That on the cross, Jesus takes on the sin of the world, becomes cursed by God. A pile of dry bones. He's unceremoniously buried. And then something incredible happens on Easter Sunday. He is resurrected from the grave, given life by the Spirit of God. And don't you see, this prophecy of Ezekiel was always about resurrection. It was always about this defeat of this bigger exile. That's why it starts with dry bones, not just exiled people who are who are. Uh, rescued from their captor, but people who are actually dead being raised to life. And Jesus in his resurrection is the fulfillment of this prophecy. But because God loves you and me so much, he doesn't keep it just for himself. He offers it to all of us that anyone who believes in Jesus will not perish, will not die, will not go on to be dry bones, but instead will have everlasting life, the full experience and abundance of life now and for ages to come in the heavenly places. This is the gospel. And God has always given this life by doing something unique, by breathing on humanity. And so here we see exactly what Ezekiel was told to do, to prophesy to the dead bodies. Life through the breath of God. In Genesis, when humanity is created, they're given life by God, breathing on their nostrils, breathing life right into them. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we're promised new life by God, breathing his spirit on us. And after Jesus' resurrection, that very night when he meets with his disciples in John chapter 20, he breathes on them, John says, the spirit of life. He gives us life through his spirit. God says, this is how you know that I am God. And many of us will say, I know God. I know who God is. I've been to church. I've read the Bible. I've studied up on him. We're not talking about that kind of knowledge. We're talking about actually knowing God. That God not simply being a religious object to be studied or adored, but the very creator of the universe 
who loved you so much that he has once and for all dealt with the ultimate enemy in exile, sin and death, through the person and work of Jesus. That in so doing, he has put the bones and the tendons and the muscles and the flesh of your life back together. And then, that if you would believe that he will give you, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, his spirit, a down payment of the fullness of life. That is, he will breathe on you new life. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any person is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, new life is here. Do you know that? Has that gospel sunk in? Have you experienced this transformation from death to life? What God has done is far greater than Babylonian captivity. It's far greater than any earthly oppressor. And it's far greater than the pervasiveness of this pandemic we're experiencing now. He has set us free from the ultimate enemy and the ultimate exile. So then what? What does that mean for us as we seek to live as people of hope in the midst of this broken world and in the midst of a global pandemic? But we have to think. Jesus comes to earth through the cross and through the resurrection. He has waded knee-deep in this valley of dry bones. The greater Ezekiel, the greater Son of Man. The same name spoken of Ezekiel is spoken of Jesus in the Gospels. He's not only preached new life, but he has afforded it to us through his death and won it for us through his resurrection. So then do we just walk around? <laughs> do we just try to figure it out? Do we go on with life as it used to be? No. Don't you see the picture that Ezekiel has painted for the people of God, for us? Restored, redeemed, reconciled, offered new life as new creation? That is that we were a defeated army, rebellious to God, our bones lying as a monument to our prideful rebellion, sin and death. But now God, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 4, has won this great victory and has raised us to life. That is, our rightful king has come into the midst and has given us new life. This army, as you were, has been resurrected, and this army now must walk, must march, must move with her king. We are on the move with Jesus. Now, oftentimes, this imagery of the army has been used in 
uh, Christian history in unfortunate ways. I'm only using the term army here because it's pictured of what has happened, and Ezekiel uses the word army himself. This is not to fight a physical battle. This is not to lob bombs from far away at people who we're frustrated with or systems that uh, are difficult for us. It's not for us to be violent people, nor is it for us to force our cause on other people. Rather, this army fights in the very same way her king fought. It is a cruciform battle. That is that we take up our crosses, Jesus says, and we proclaim this gospel in a position of vulnerability and service and love, and we live it out. There is no greater testimony to who God is than a bunch of reassembled dry bones who have had life breathed into them, now living, walking, moving, and embodying the one who has given them life. Listen, if we are called to, uh, to live in the same way that our King Jesus has lived, then that means we've got to venture into the valley of the dry bones. We are Ezekiel's in essence. And it's dirty, and it's broken, and it's uncomfortable, and it's uncertain, and at times it's unclean. And yet we are called to be in there, knee deep, ankle deep, wading around, feeling like, can these bones live? It doesn't seem like it, and yet God is telling us, preach the message, son of man. Prophesy to them, daughter of man. Tell the gospel. And we speak the God, we tell, we proclaim the gospel, not just through our speaking, but through our livelihood, through how we live. That is that we are agents of the new creation that Jesus is offering. Jesus healed people. He cast out demons. He served people. He fed people and he preached the message And so too we, as we wade around in this valley of dry bones, in our spheres of influence and in our world as it is, we are called to be agents of reconciliation, agents of redemption, physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually, societally. We live in an age of complete brokenness. The dry bones are all around us. Corruption. Pride, greed, racism. We live in a world where a black man can't go out running without fear for his life. How do people who have been breathed new life into them embody this in this valley of dry bones? Wars, violence, isolation, all of these things. What does it mean to be agents of restoration, not simply to keep this message that you have been brought from death to life to yourself, nor only to proclaim it with your words, 
but for us to constantly be acting on it in all phases of life to redeem, to reconcile all things. Because the full mission of Jesus is the reconciliation of all things. That is, that the world itself will one day finally be set to rights. And the New Testament is clear that we are called to participate in that now as people of hope in the midst of exile. People as dead as a pile of dry bones who because of the love, the mercy, and the grace of God have been brought to life. Not to simply huddle up together on Sundays and try to make it through the rest of the week. No. To be empowered and sent into the dry bones of our world. To announce and to live the message and the victory of our King. We are gospel people. We are new life people. And not simply because we attend Hope Alliance. We are people of hope. As this pandemic comes to an end, hopefully soon, as we begin to get back to a seeming return to the rhythms of life, we cannot simply go back to life as it was. No. God has done something profound in us. And our life has whole new purpose because of the gospel. And so soon, and perhaps already, we will once again be able to wade into the valley of dry bones. And we will do it together with our King as people of hope, people of redemption, people promoting reconciliation, agents of restoration. Can I pray with you? The Apostle Paul has said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are God's workmanship. That is that our lives lived in obedience to Him, lived as agents of new creation, bring glory to Him. God, if there are those listening to this message who have not yet experienced this resurrection to new life, this hope, this new creation that we've spoken about this morning, I pray that you would seal it in them by the power of your Spirit right now. Convince them of your love for them. Assure them of your total and final victory on their behalf. Breathe 
new life in them. For those who have already experienced this, restore in us our identity, our marching orders as you were, as this revived pile of dry bones, now made a workmanship, a beautifully crafted story of God's grace and mercy. And breathe on us anew with your spirit. Fill us new with your spirit that we might embody this story, this truth, this gospel all throughout the Lehi Valley and to the ends of the earth. Announcing and demonstrating the redemption, the reconciliation, the restoration, the new life that is found in and through the person and work of Jesus. God, we love you because we were dead and you have made us alive. We praise you for it. In your holy name, amen.